0: I signed historic executive order strengthening civil rights protections for, he's running from me. I don't know where he's going. Do that again, man. You're a sprinter. I can, you, you're gonna, I don't know if he's running to something or from something. I don't know. The
1: 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden?
0: That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was.
2: Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate
0: Donald Trump? And and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with... Welcome
2: you. back to the Ruthless Variety Program, fellas. It is an awfully big week in the world of politics.
3: It seems like we've been having a lot of those lately.
2: Holy smokes! One hour after another uh that was incidentally uh, the president of the united states at his uh what was it, like a pride party i think it was a pride event a pride event in the uh in the back like the south lawn
3: and and again you know the guy who has the nuclear codes basically just starts <laughs> saying an assortment of words and the audience i love how in the background here the audience just starts like faintly laughing like you're like, <laughs> like, oh well.
1: He's lost his train of thought again. So I, so I didn't see that clip. Is I assume somebody run is running.
2: Nobody in the was
1: apparent in the screen in the
2: shot that was provided. There was uh, he could just like
1: squirrel.
3: Yeah, it was just like something caught his eye. Oh. Right? Well, I mean, I, 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 I guess it's better than when he was like, "Where's Jackie?" You know, like that was pretty. Funny. <laughs> We're hoping whoever that person was, maybe that he saw is at least alive and real. Yeah, it was.
2: Incidentally, it was also the place that he said uh, this was the the, the most brave, uh, courageous. I think was his word. Yeah. Uh, assembled group that he'd seen in quite some time. Uh, I think the day before he had addressed the Air Force Academy, and then a week prior to that was at a uh, Memorial Day uh, discussion, which I think would be arguable to say the least.
3: I mean, well, sure. I mean, there's something to be said about our World War II vets, but come on, dude. <laughs> It's, just, it's not their month.
2: Doesn't anybody have D. the They picked the wrong month,
3: man. Ike should have been like, listen, June's Pride Month. We're going to have to move our heroes to another month. But what would be the reaction
1: if you took a knee in front of the pride flag? Oh. Interesting thought. Stunning and brave. You know? It, well I know, I know they have, they have
2: quite a really problem with it when it burns unlike the American flag yeah, I mean, It becomes look, a huge problem I'm just saying you got,
1: crime. You, you got a lot of political crosswinds there yeah. Every, everyone would be confused
2: if you took any I noticed that the pride flag was in the middle of the south lawn like you know the big the big uh, pillars in the back yeah uh, columns and there was two American flags on the side and the pride flag uh, right there in the middle yeah which I think offended uh, quite a few of our veterans including the wolf. I think, Uh, the wolf I noticed was on Twitter. I didn't care for it. No.
1: Which is understandable. And the wolf is, uh, he's really, he's just outdoing himself every week. He is. Uh, Now he is uh, managing the board because our friend John Ashbrook just decided to not show up for the episode.
2: Which is amazing because I didn't know, coming into today, we had uh, a distinguished guest on our program, uh, Congressman uh, Brad Wenstrup yes. amazing
3: guest great right. guest
2: who's not only a great guest and can talk about a bunch of different things that we go into he's having a hearing with uh, Rochelle Walensky of the CDC mm-hmm. ask a bunch of really tough questions about the handling of coronavirus uh, so it's interesting but he's also he's from Cincinnati yeah
3: an African show So it's a bad look I've told you about this guy That's <laughs> it. you never know you
2: never know it's a real problem no mm. heads up so we're off uh, on our own here uh, I shall say that our YouTube page has been quite a success fellas
3: yeah and I you know we have we're starting to put full episodes and extra little tweet uh, like uh, shorts on there little treats like King of the hill yeah uh, on there King of the hill was yeah. on, there, uh,
2: hill was on there. if you haven't seen that you should go while you're there please like and subscribe because and that's also important.
3: The, the comments people have been leaving are some of the nicest things I've been telling the guys since we launched this YouTube that if you want to feel good about life, Go check out the comments people are leaving for us. They're the best listeners oh in the world. This is They're how Smug
1: sustains himself at this night. Is, yeah. Well this is how it starts. And then the <laughs> thing gets big and they get real nasty, I'm sure. Yeah. But again, I mean I don't care, so
2: No, 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 no. The say good, mean the, things,
1: say nice things. I prefer nice things.
2: Prefer nice things, but I can take some mean things. Yeah. Well it shows engagement. Well, yeah. They, if they didn't if there weren't people that actually hated us, we wouldn't be doing our job. But I'm sustained by rage, so <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, go check that out if you haven't yet. It is actually an incredible page, and there's a bunch of really good content on it. And you can kind of see behind the scenes how we have fun with all of this stuff, which is, you know, I mean, to the extent that that interests you, YouTube it is. Uh, in the meantime, fellas, we got a big week. As we speak and as you're hearing us, we are in the hours here before uh, Donald J. Trump will be turning himself in at a Miami courtroom for an arraignment. On charges that were brought last week by the Department of Justice, alleging a whole bunch of stuff, Uh, I think we did a nice job in the special episode of laying out the equities that we were discussing without having seen the charges at that point, right? Uh, And then the charges came out, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and much more. uh, I I would say a much better source to describe that kind of thing than the three of us, as, as smart as as you all are. Uh, I look for conservative attorneys, right? Mm-hmm. So I look for what Andy McCarthy was, was saying on National Review. Uh, Bill Barr had an appearance on Fox News Sunday that I thought was sort of instructive about what this kind of thing is. Because, you know, inherently when you're dealing with Trump or any political leader, you're dealing with political arguments and political discussions and too often in my view it it becomes a political statement rather than having any understanding what it is that we're dealing with here
1: right and i think people are well well versed in in the playbook that the left has used on donald trump for all these last years and whenever you read a media report you got to take it with a huge grain grain of salt right until you see what actually is there in you know a legal Indictment not characterized by a journalist who's you know you go back to Russiagate, all of this stuff was fake and it was all characterized by journalists who said that they had sources and so you know the proof the proof is always in the yeah pudding, so, so
2: we're we're conditioned in terms of the the press characterization and the political argument to be sort of skeptical about all of it. But as I said with the two aforementioned guys, and then the one that I've actually really been looking for here is somebody who testified on Donald Trump's behalf Mm -hmm. at an impeachment hearing, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jonathan Turley, who's, I think, a really highly regarded, not typically considered a conservative legal mind up until sort of the last few years, but he's certainly a legal mind that people pay a lot of attention to. He had a Fox News appearance that I thought was particularly instructive last Friday. Maybe we can play that.
0: It is an extremely damning indictment. Uh, You know, there are indictments that are sometimes called narrative or speaking indictments. These are indictments uh, that are really meant to uh, make a point as to the depth of the evidence. There are some indictments that are just bare bones. This is not. Uh, The special counsel uh, knew that there would be a lot of people who were going to allege uh, that the Department of Justice was acting in a biased or, or politically motivated way. This is clearly an indictment uh, that was drafted to answer those questions. It's overwhelming in details. And you know, the Trump team should not fool itself. These are hits below the waterline. Uh, these are witnesses who apparently testified under oath, gave statements to federal investigators, both of which can be criminally charged if they're false. Those witnesses are directly quoting the president uh, in, in encouraging others not to look for documents or allegedly uh, to conceal them. Uh, it's damaging. And th- the key here to keep in mind is that every case I've ever been involved with, the indictment was a heart stopper. You know, These are written by lawyers who are trying to convict a client. Every indictment I've ever dealt with has fallen apart to some degree once we look more carefully at what the evidence uh, may be. But this is, is not a, a, an indictment that you can dismiss. There are a lot of people who are testifying under oath, and they're saying highly incriminating things. So, look, I, I mean, that puts
2: a little bit of pause to things, considering where Jonathan Turley has been on things like the New York indictment, for mm-hmm. example, which he thought was incredibly ridiculous. The civil verdict. That they had in New York uh, on Trump that which he thought it was absurd, and two impeachment trials, which he thought were completely
1: insane, this is a very different characterization of what he's dealing with here yeah, I think number one, um, having read the whole indictment, and look I mean you got to see what defense Donald Trump is going to have for this stuff, obviously, and that's the big caveat, but the thing that really struck me what you know there's been a lot of back and forth on presidential records act and all this sort of stuff of classifications and all that i think i think you had said previously when we did the emergency podcast episode that what um andrew mccarthy had said was like that's kind of a red herring and i agree a lot more now that i read the indictment because i think the thing that is really damaging uh in in that and i think that's sort of what's alluded to there in that audio we just heard is there is a account Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, Donald Trump has served this subpoena for the documents, meets with his attorneys. They set up a timeline for the attorney to come back and review the classified material in those bankers boxes. We've all now seen the photos everywhere. And then there are periods of time over the course of a couple of days in which Donald Trump has communication with that will Notta, who's also indicted yeah this in, poor guy this. who's his uh, the assistant to the president and and the claim in the indictment is that at trump's direction not a boxes from that storage room without the knowledge of the attorney that was going to be there in a matter of days to review all the documents take the classified materials out and and return them to to the government and that they have the security footage um, they have the call logs and that is what in the indictment, at least for me in reading the whole thing, seems to be the most damning that the government feels very confident with the timeline and the evidence that they have.
2: And that's, of course, the obstruction charges, Yeah,
1: right? And um,
2: I think the reason that there is some significance to that, as as you've seen, most of the political arguments that go to this uh, focus on a couple of different things. One is, obviously, there seems to be a discrepancy in two systems of justice here. And I know, Smug, you've talked about this a lot. Um, there's been previous examples of Hillary Clinton. There's still outstanding examples of Joe Biden. Um, there's even documents with like Mike Pence and, and others where you haven't seen people bring charges. It seems, from my perspective, that the obstruction piece of this is where this goes awry. He is not actually being charged with the possession of any documents that he turned over. After the Department of Justice asked for it, he's being charged with the documents when they asked it for it back, and then he basically didn't do it. Right, and and then had attorneys knowingly or unknowingly, according to the the documents, represent that they were all turned over. So I don't know if that's a distinction or not. But again, you have to harken back to Hillary Clinton and her server, uh, a point that you've made, Smug. That's like, well, look. I don't know what she had, and she maintains there wasn't classified information on it. Whether there was or not, we'll never know, mm-hmm. because they got rid of the damn
3: thing, That's right? the thing. She, she used that bleach bit, nuked all evidence, and I don't see her in jail for obstruction. I think, to me right now, this issue is 100% about equal protection under the law. If I don't see anything happening to, the, to, to Joe Biden for this, to, to all the various crimes... That the Biden family is being tied to. Whether it's even on video. And and we didn't get any indictment there. But super fast. I mean, this is probably the fastest the Justice Department has moved on anything. We've gotten an indictment dropped on Donald Trump. We are still waiting to hear anything about uh, the whistleblowers that have come out and said that the FBI was basically being told to protect the Biden family. They They were kicked out. They're gone. Yeah, I mean, th- there is still an investigation going on in the House, and
2: I think Jamie Comer's committee actually made a lot of progress on that piece of it last week by getting more information that sort of ties the knot on Burisma payments, for example, um, and, and other things that would suggest that the President Biden himself was involved in Hunter Biden's business dealings, at least as it pertained to Ukraine. You've mentioned previously the nine payments to family members from China. Uh, again, the gun charge in Delaware, uh, tax investigation into
3: hunter biden like all of those things seem to just sort of evaporate and that's the thing is i think there's a lot of people in this country who are starting to recognize that beyond the hypocrisy of this because it's it's not hypocrisy the same way i would mentioned that like hillary clinton is tweeting and reveling in this when she herself like you'd mentioned about the server nukes all the evidence it's about hierarchy there's a protected Class of people in this country who think they can get away with anything, and so far they've been proven right on that theory.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in part. Smug. I think the difference is, and I, I think the Hillary example is better than some of the Biden stuff. Well, because, because we don't know what we don't know. We don't yeah. know what we yeah. know don't know yet on the on the Biden stuff. There are still ongoing investigations. We know everything. We know the entire timeline of the Hillary Clinton stuff. You know, Hillary Clinton's people would tell you, "Oh, well, those emails that we deleted." Were about yoga and you right. know personal schedule and I'm going to get a coffee and it was not, nothing to do with her official job. I mean I don't believe that because you look at you know all of the crazy stuff that was going on with the Clinton Foundation, yeah, and the the trading of favors and whatnot. That I don't think there was a personal thing in her entire life. That everything she was doing, she was doing for sale, <laughs> right? Obviously, right? Um, and then you add to that like the bleach bit component of this, like oh, okay. All right, fine. You you had to bleach bit. have you turn over everything in government. You're going to do the bleach bit to, you know, all, all the stuff that's national security focused or or that was job focused. The government's going to have a copy, and then you're going to make sure that no hacker could ever get back onto that server and stuff. But you you bleach bit the whole thing, right? Like you you're banging phones breaking with with, with hammers yeah. and stuff like that. But as a practical matter, and this isn't a fair thing, but. What Donald Trump did differently here was got himself personally involved in these decisions and made a record of it. And it's on tape, it's in the call logs, it's in the surveillance, and Hillary Clinton had her lawyers do it. And it's that semantic difference that isn't probably fair, but makes him more of a target that can be defeated in this indictment, in my opinion. Well, it it seems like
2: what went wrong here more than anything was and this is just this is is the beginning of time this is not unique to donald trump you can ask a whole host of political figures who have dealt dealt with all all of this you know for 25 years it's never really about the crime i mean in particular when it's a, a political crime that's that we're talking about here or political in nature uh the department of justice generally speaking gives people an opportunity to try to make it right even when it's not right right even when You've clearly done something nefarious. But if you have the opportunity to sort of turn it all over and a culpa this thing, more times than not, there is a resolution to it that doesn't
1: involve a trial. Right. It's like, go back to the whole Martha Stewart thing with the SEC. And, and she, she, didn't, it. she didn't get in trouble for insider trading. What she got in trouble for was lying to the Feds.
2: And, and that's where I think this thing took a huge turn, because it was the impetus behind the Mar-a-Lago raid, which was so unprecedented up to that point. But now you, you put the timeline together, you gotta understand what it is that the Department of Justice is thinking in that time period, whether it's fair or not, I don't know. But that's they think that they have incredibly classified material. Like we're talking about potential battle plans against adversaries of the United States. We're talking about uh potential nuclear capabilities of allies of the united states things like that and so you can understand when you ask for that back and it
3: doesn't come back right why the government has a concern there but here's here's my thinking on that is when you just mentioned that the issue they're having is is they're charging with obstruction not these documents well they're
2: charging them on both but that's the one that
3: leads from duncan and i's perspective looks tougher so i think what really bothers me about that is the spirit of what is going on here is they're saying that oh well you can't you can't cross the feds you can't lie to the feds whereas the sitting president and his campaign lied to the american people saying oh listen all this stuff about hunter biden is russian disinformation they had their friends at the cia trotted out and say oh this is classic russian disinformation folks during a campaign season they lied to the american voters yeah. yeah, they got their win, they did. and they've turned their Justice Department <clears throat> on the leading Republican candidate opposing I mean, them in it, this election. And it wasn't
1: just like they lied about that. I mean, you go back to the beginning of the Russia Gate probe, they were— lying on fisa applications they yep. were lying about the providence of the um dossier yep. i mean there was they were lying about a lot of stuff and using the power of the government to attack donald trump so i mean like I'm ruining do not, people's lives ruining people's lives yeah so so when people say oh boy will donald trump face a political price for this I don't know. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he's going to poll numbers are going to go down in the, after the New York case, they went up. And I think a lot of that is just Republican voters were lied to for so long. That's right. And so many things with regarding Donald Trump that like I I, I, I won't, wouldn't blame them for a second for not believing anything. Well, primary
2: voters at this point are conditioned to believe that whatever comes about in terms of an investigation of this former president is more likely than not, over time, going to be proven to be false. Because up to this point, that is the body of work. Yep. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I I, th- I don't blame people for thinking that now. Yep. Right. But it's why I wanted to play the Turley clip, because I think that was... that. Uh, the, these guys take that out of the political. And the political arguments being made here, I think, are very good ones by Republicans. But what we're facing here in terms of what's happening today to Donald Trump is not a political yeah. deal. It's very much a legal deal. To put What its impact is on politics, I don't know. To anybody's put, guess.
1: To put a finer point on it for the listeners and viewers, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit in the beginning, but like, there is a whole lot of difference between CNN reporting on intelligence that says so and so in unnamed sources and a federal indictment for a legal case against Donald Trump like yeah. fundamentally those are different things different thresholds of evidence that are required you know to put that on paper like a reporter doesn't care they want clicks right yeah. and so it just gets that i think i think people need to understand the reason why we're taking it so seriously is it's the it's the threshold of what it takes to to do it, and that's what is concerning.
3: Yeah, no, I look. I think it's all. I think it's all big. What's that? Smog? One, one, one important thing I think you brought up is, is saying that the press wants clicks. I think they want a little bit more. I don't know if you guys saw this story in the Washington Post. I feel like the press definitely wants violence. This is from the Washington Post: <laughs> Trump's Miami court date brings fears of violence, yeah. rally plans. It says, federal and local authorities on Sunday amped up security preparations ahead of Donald Trump's first appearance in federal court on criminal charges here, monitoring online threats and potential gatherings of far-right extremists while marshalling more police officers to be on duty. It says, escalating violent rhetoric in online forums coupled with defiant statements from the former president and his political allies. Oh, these defiant statements. I mean, this is an act of terrorism. The same way that they they said that, like, these moms showing up to school board meetings are, are domestic terrorists. Yeah. The journalists really just want something to happen. Well, just if you've noticed, anytime t- any there
2: is something that is, is a provocative statement out of the right, it's basically ushering in the entire framework that they've used to characterize Jan 6, right? Which is what this is. They're basically saying that the president, by not having a stage sort of accepting
3: view of the charges that are against him, is somehow... Provoking violence in Miami, right. and that's the thing is their whole playbook has been to silence all dissent, claiming that words against them are violence. People yeah. are going to die. <laughs> like has become their just rallying cry. If you disagree with me, you don't understand. People are going to die. Right. Th- th- that like, kind of not just a defense, but it's an offense that they use to have to maintain control and and silence anyone with a different opinion. Like they're saying online forums. The same way we mentioned about how uh, uh, the Biden campaign. And, and all their allies were saying that the Hunter Biden stuff was Russian disinformation. And then they got social um, media networks to ban people who are posting any of it. Oh, because it's, it's so fake that if you post it, well, well, we've got to make sure that person is silenced. This is like, and, and the fact that journalists are part and parcel with this whole attempt to silence anyone disagreeing with the narrative of the left – is just stunning. It's just absolutely crazy. Well,
2: it also implies that people can't think for themselves. I mean, this is a great quote. Jacob Ware, an extremism researcher at the Council of Foreign Relations, likens the widespread embrace of such positions to mass radicalization, quote-unquote. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, so look, as we've explained, there is obvious need for healthy skepticism of any investigations or charges that have come against Donald Trump because the entirety of his public career has had one investigation out of after another that have come up absolutely bone dry. Mm -hmm. That is not like radicalization. That is a conditioned norm where people are in. I also think that not just Republican voters, not just primary voters, but basically anybody in this country not anybody. There's places on the far left that can't do this, no question. But most people look at these things and process it, and they think about it, mm-hmm. and they make sense of what they're seeing or not seeing. Now, the skepticism at some point may give way to like a holy shit, that was dumb. Why would this guy do that? Why would he put himself when he knows the entirety of the Department of Justice, the Biden administration, is going to give him the hardest possible time. Why would he put himself in a situation where he's made it so easy for them, right? That may happen at some point. It's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen now at all because most people believe because of the body of work, I got to see more. I got to I gotta figure out where this thing ultimately goes. I don't think that you've got a primary electorate as much as the press would like to paint everybody with the same brush. That everybody's just brain dead to facts, hmm. and everybody is just like unwelcoming of any sort of obvious evidence, one way or another, when it comes to Donald Trump or what he may or may not have done. I think people are definitely skeptical on the front end of anything,
3: and also, uh, you know, when you when they bring in their quote, you know, uh, what what do they call this clown? A, a radicalism, uh, an extremism researcher, extremism. So I think part and parcel with this, so these there's a cottage industry of these clowns. I mean, there's no PhD in extremism, believe it or not. These are people who have found a way to create a job for themselves over the media's obsession with, with Donald Trump.
1: Right. They were Russia experts, then they were COVID experts, now they're extremism Bingo. experts. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. What about disinformation experts? Oh, we cry, I, I almost forgot. But too. the extremism and the disinformation guys are sometimes one and the same. <laughs> the chiron just depends on, you know, what the subject is of that evening when they show up on MSNBC. It was like that dude
2: back in the day on Fox, Peter Johnson Jr. or yes, whatever. Yes, that It was Ailes' guy. And yeah. like every single time there was something that came up that was like a, you know, it's a healthcare emergency, is a doctor.
3: If it's a legal emergency, he's a lawyer.
1: Amazing. Remember yeah. <laughs> <But, laughs> that guy? But,
2: but it, it, the left has now perfected this.
3: Yeah. That's the thing is, is specifically in this, when they say that, oh my God, there's going to be this like just wave of radicalization and violence. People's memories aren't so short to forget. That there was a summer where the left was burning every city in this country, across the country. And what did the government, what, what kind of a response do we get from the experts? You had the CDC say, actually, it's better to be out rioting uh, than, right. than the COVID. The more danger yeah. is actually in white supremacy. Yeah, right? You have to go out and burn cities. Yeah, right. I mean,
2: that's oh. look, that's why people are so skeptical of all this stuff. Anything the government tells you at this point, there's at least half the country doesn't believe
1: it. I anticipate... You know, this thing in Florida is going to be a circus. Absolute, absolute circus. I hope for the people who do show up there that they're aware of the circus that the media wants to create. And everybody's very peaceful and calm because I think it's probably going to be a circus.
2: Yeah, the moment it's something else, then all of a sudden it's, it becomes an entirely different story. None, right. of, that none of the people who are involved in want, Yeah. to be honest with you. So here's an interesting wrinkle, and the New York Times reported on this. The Trump-appointed judge is said to be handling the document case. Um, fascinating, right? Former President Donald J. Trump criminal indictment on charges stemming from his handling of classified documents will be overseen, at least initially, by a federal judge whom a higher court criticized for a series of rulings that were unusually favorable to Mr. Trump during the early stages of the investigation, according to five people familiar with the matter. The judge, uh, Eileen M. Cannon, who is Mr. Trump. Uh, appointed the bench in 2020, is scheduled to preside over the former president's first appearance in federal district court in Miami on Tuesday, the people said. Uh, in general, judges who handle initial appearances go on to preside over the further proceeding. It was not clear whether Judge Cannon would remain assigned for the entirety of Mr. Trump's case. Uh, Judge Cannon's involvement was earlier reported by ABC News. So that's interesting, right? I mean, and it's the one thing you're going to get. It's a benefit, a downstream effect of of his effectiveness in uh, confirming
3: judges. I I think that's the thing is that, you know, the media especially loves to try to play this angle of that. Oh, my God, our court system is broken. We have to pack the courts. Yeah, And then uh, there was this Supreme Court, the Supreme Court reporter for NBC News calls this judge a loose cannon attacking their integrity which is wild which and 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 it's become so commonplace for journalists to to attack sitting judges and to encourage you know this erosion in in faith in the church and when these people are preaching to us about the importance of institutions right and law and
1: and law and order it's like we believe in law and order that's why we must indict donald trump but not with that judge exactly
3: (laughs) They're like, it has to be a judge. That Only judges was, that we, that get we appointed 20 ago. years ago. And, and, and that's the thing is you see all these attacks across the spectrum that have been happening, whether it's on the Supreme Court, whether it's on individual judges. If the left doesn't feel like they have a complete and total advantage of a kangaroo court, they think that, oh, as journalists, we have to undermine the integrity of any of this rulings, anything right. that happens. Yeah, yeah. no, I,
1: I saw a whole CN, CNN uh <laughs> uh, segment today examining the credibility of yeah, Ms. Yeah, like, Can- like of judge going cannon. going through her whole cv yeah of, you know and trying to undercut her
2: yeah just for those of you who don't remember this um the reason why this became controversial is the judge cannon uh, according to the new york times effectively froze a significant portion of the government's inquiry barring prosecutors from using materials seized at mar-a-lago for any investigative purpose connected to the case against Mr. Trump. So that goes to the whole theory that you cannot execute a warrant to go find things that you said you're there to find and then find other things that open up new pieces of an investigation, right? Pretty classic jurisprudence in many jurisdictions. Apparently not as it relates to Mr. Trump. Yeah. right? Uh, and so this sparked tons of outrage in the left accusing Ms., uh, Judge Cannon of, of being somehow
3: uh impartial and then they, they, they bring up that like this judge was appointed by donald trump and they don't bring up that the person bringing these charges up that they are the same person who brought those fake charges against uh governor bob mcdonald that he ends up getting exonerated on after yeah. the fact he his wife produced a documentary about michelle obama they're biden obama donors yeah but that's to, to the press that's not any sort of bias. No, no, this is a This principle. judge, though, this judge who professionally is selected because they're an unbiased individual, oh, they're biased. Yeah, no, I mean, it's,
2: listen, they're never going to get a never going to get a fair hearing from the press. But, you know, our hope here is that the facts of this case actually proceed because, look, if you listen to Jack Smith, who's a special prosecutor, uh, what he said is he wants a, quote, unquote, speedy trial. What does that mean? I have I haven't a clue. What it means to have a speedy federal trial? I just assume
3: these things are like years, but maybe not in this case. He's like, "Listen, we have an election coming up. We got to block this guy."
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it may not well, be the last yeah. thing he's
3: involved in either. I I'm, mean, I, well, yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't,
1: I, I don't know what he means by speedy trial. I don't know what favors Donald Trump. I don't either. You know what I'm saying? So, like, Donald Trump might want to drag this out. You know, it's, it's, it's possible. But, but you could see, I mean, look,
2: if it, it takes a year to get to trial, you could see a scenario where Donald Trump is the nominee of the Republican Party in a presidential election year, and is all of a sudden in a federal courthouse facing charges that could put him in prison for years. Yeah. I mean, I, that seems to me, from a Department of Justice standpoint,
1: in a process standpoint, the worst possible scenario. Right. But but I mean, if Donald Trump is going to put up a case against this as a defendant, he's going to be afforded every right, I would hope, to file motions and seek a continuance if he needs to deal with evidence that he doesn't know. So like this process could take a very long time. It could take a very long time. And that might be in his interest. It might also be in Trump's interest for this to be a trial and come to a conclusion if he feels like he can beat this case yeah yeah you You just i just just don't know know. it depends on who he hires who like as of recording this like i don't know who he's going to be represented in miami yeah yeah well look as we
2: wrap up this part of it here's the one uh suggestion i have to audiences that are are listening to all of this i think it is entirely possible to be a healthy skeptic of charges that are brought against Donald Trump by the government. I think it is more than obvious to be concerned about what seems to be two systems of judgment, uh, of justice based upon your political affiliation over the last few years. No question about it. I also think it's possible to do both of those things without beclowning yourself and pretending as though some of the things that have been alleged here. Are just fine because if they're proven to be true they're not fine they're not fine at all you can't you can't walk around with documents that endanger american soldiers you can't have conversations with authors of memoirs about highly confidential things that could imperil our ability to have a serious national security response to things that are happening around the world you can't do that right nor is it okay to lie to federal investigators one way or another. Now, I'm not alleging that all of that is true by any stretch of the imagination. That's what the government's alleging. I'm just saying, you don't need to dismiss all of that and pretend like that's nothing to see here in order to defend Donald Trump. Because the history has shown that a lot of these charges have not hold, held water, mm-hmm. and they may not here. But don't walk yourself into a situation where you're pretending like there's nothing to see here because that indictment that's not nothing to see here it's just not it's just not um, and you've seen a lot of responses on both sides that would suggest that there are a lot of clowns in this in this area <laughs> um, speaking of a circus yeah speaking of a circus uh, and it sort of relates i mean look politico wrote a, a piece about how long shots try optimism and strategy in gop primary of doom and gloom
3: they're they're 100% stealing Our discussion. This is what we said. Optimism. Wow. That's a message that's really starting to sing. Yeah. We started to talk about this and then lo and
2: behold, lo and behold. Yeah. Many of our listeners that don't like to admit to be listeners. Uh, decided to pan oh, articles yeah. oh, on yes. this. No. Uh, for weeks, the frontrunners in the Republican presidential primary have painted current events in increasingly apocalyptic terms in fundraising appeals, likening his indictment on Thursday to watching a Republican die. Uh, DeSantis, who had previously suggested the government is imposing a biomedical security state, said uh, the weaponization of federal law enforcement represents a mortal threat to a free society. It's nonstop doom and gloom. A strategy squarely in line with public polling that suggests that Republican electorates sky-high dissatisfaction with how things are going in this country uh, with a Democrat in the White House. Yet it is two behemoths in the primary uh, uh, that are competing for this angry vote. What they go on to talk about is what we talked about, in that you've got a handful of, of folks here, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, now we see Mike Pence, who are certainly trying out more of a Reagan approach, Mm -hmm. trying to do the morning in America shtick. Um, It'll be interesting now with the backdrop of these charges against President Trump, whether or not that has any hold in an electorate. And I think our suggestion is we just
3: don't know yet. But you guys have any updated thoughts on that? I think it could. I think it could. I mean, you know, especially like a lot of folks said during Tim Scott's announcement that You know, you saw the reaction from from all Republicans. I didn't see a single person who was like, oh, no, I didn't enjoy hearing things that made me feel hopeful about the country. You saw a really welcome response to that message. And I think especially right now where the news cycle is basically twenty four seven, Everything is terrible. Here's why the world is ending. And it's kind of like, I mean, I don't want to say everyone hates their job, but you know when you get home, And you get to take off your shoes and you sit down, you take a breath. I think for a lot of voters, you're going to get the same kind of feeling of like, especially if you're out in Iowa or or New Hampshire where these candidates are visiting and you hear, you know, you attend one of their events and you hear something that makes you feel good. Like, you know what? I think we can do this. Yeah. I think that might sing. Is that like what you like
2: to do on a Wednesday night after a hard week's work?
3: (laughs) I take off my shoes and I'm like, I'm done with this, man. I've given enough. (laughs) Look,
1: I, I don't know if they're mutually exclusive. Right. Like, I don't think it's all positive. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think you go back to Bill Clinton. Right. Like the famous Bill Clinton th- thing was like, I feel town your pain. called hope. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel your pain. Like that's that. That is what people saw in him. He had a positive message, but you still had the sense that the struggles you did have, he he could speak to those. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's clearly a lot of especially coming out of covid that I think a lot of Republican mm. primary voters look at and they're like there has to be some retribution like it isn't all hopeful optimism there's some things that 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 went wrong that we need answers for and so you you have to be able to do both of those things Mm -hmm. you can speak in reagan-esque terms and i think but you have to also acknowledge the pain that people have for reasons that are justified the other thing i would say though you know because i watched over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump's, um, speech at the Georgia. Georgia, the Georgia convention. And he was very strong at the top with, with, you know, most of his message and a real barrel of the bat sort of stuff. Then he kind of went back into this stuff of like, oh you know we just we I don't we can't win because these elections, elections these yeah. elections and then he's reading off you know the elections in georgia and going into david purdue and yeah at one oh, point he suggested that david purdue actually <laughs> would would have won that par- primary but it was rigged for governor kemp governor kemp won by 50 points 52 52 points <laughs> right <laughs> if governor kemp stole that election it was an office space situation <laughs> where he we wanted to steal it by 0.5 percent but somebody moved the decimal by two and he won it by 50.
3: Like that, it's just as, at, as someone pointed out like not even Saddam Hussein would rig elections to win this. right, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and little, it's like come on man
1: and it's 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 you know Trump just goes into this stuff where like he, what to your point to the, your point though the, in the poll
2: that showed that the vast majority of republicans were skeptical about the charges brought against president trump the same electorate that said that 68 said we don't want to hear stop talking about, the about 2020 or the 2020 is, or
1: anything else and, and the reason why i'm saying this for all the trump you know f- folks out there on the campaign who are listening to this like what do you think you're doing to our voters you're you're depressing their turnout you're making them feel hopeless gosh i mean odds on favor to be the nominee you Mm -hmm. want to convince all these people who love you that that there's no possible way that we can fix it at the top of the speech you're saying i'm the only one who can fix it and then you're saying no one can fix it because it's rigged yeah it
3: just it's dissonant it doesn't work it doesn't work it's not a good message part and parcel to this kind of connected is i saw some of your comments were making the rounds in an article i don't know if you saw it Cockburn, S- specific, yeah, specifically,
1: Cockburn. Cockburn got you. He got me. He got me uh, in in the American Conservative. Huh. So, you know, I mean. So uh, to provide context for everybody, because it's
3: a very important and great argument, and I think it's very important for folks to hear this. Yeah. That.
1: So the, the article in the American Conservative that they had quoted me in was about um, Turning Point USA announced this announced this um, ballot harvesting initiative. Yeah. Right. And they're going to do it in Arizona and in Wisconsin and in Georgia. Yeah. Right. And my comment on this, and I, I've said this a lot of times, so it's probably not a surprise to anybody, but I think. Ballot harvesting has become this cope for people who want to obfuscate the other pro like underlying problems with the party. Yeah. And that Donald Trump, for whatever reason, and his allies convinced our voters who used to kill it. I mean, absolutely yep. fucking kill it in early vote and absentee by mail. I mean, that's how we won elections bread in and Arizona. Butter. That was Forever. Bread Forever. Butter. It was our bread and butter. And in 2020 Donald Trump was like well it's going to be fraud if you vote by mail and so all these people held out for election day and so not not only you're competing with democrats on election day you're competing them having banked votes all of early voting in yep. absentee by mail. And so, you know, things happen on election day. You know, it snows, right? Mm-hmm. Or your, your car breaks down, or you mm-hmm. get sick, or you got to work, you got to work two shifts, mm-hmm. and you can't get to the polls. And so if you're always banking on just voting on election day, you're going to bank less votes than if you did for the six weeks prior, yeah. voting by mail. And, and so what was your primary critique though of the of the idea that the ballot harvesting is the solution or the panacea to this? Well, issue? Uh, uh, the issue is is that they're using ballot harvesting acting like we've never fucking done it. <laughs> Like, like, like everybody took the men in black flash thing and deleted all the history of the Republican Party winning elections. We used to be very, very good at this. Yeah. Right. And so they're kind of using this ballot harvesting thing, massive investment. They're going to spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to solve a problem that can also be solved by running better candidates and stop telling people that elections are rigged. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's as simple as that, folks. That naturally, naturally Wait, you,
3: with
1: the infrastructure
3: are, that's involved. Are you saying that if you're a candidate for an election and you tell people that elections are ridiculous, they're rigged and you can't trust them, <laughs> right. that might make them say, what's the damn point? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, how do you ballot harvest a person who you tell that elections are rigged? Yep. That it doesn't fucking work. And I'm sorry, but like if you're gonna sit there like Donald Trump and and, and do that in the Georgia convention, mind you, he got he got his ass kicked in those counties surrounding um, Atlanta, yeah. right? Are oh, you going to go ballot harvest Cobb County? Yeah. Well, you're going to be ballot harvesting a lot of people who might be registered Republicans, but really hate the fact that he says elections are rigged. And mm-hmm. you know what? They're not going to vote for him. So what the hell are you spending the money ballot harvesting if you're telling people that elections are rigged? Yeah, it's just it, it just doesn't work, dude. It doesn't work. I only say it because people are going to spend millions and millions of dollars on this. And we like we got to do it the right way. And the and the other thing is like this is a marginal issue. It is a big deal to do it. I would love for us to do it everywhere we possibly can. But it is not the real problem because you look at the control case. The control case is New Hampshire. There is next to zero absentee by mail. Next to zero early vote. Like they have very strict rules on all of that. Like you need an a absolute. We need like a doctor's note and a note from the principal. <laughs> You know, like it, does, you just can't do it. And so you look at a place like New Hampshire. We got crushed in New Hampshire. You mean Diamond Don Baldacci? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> All on an election day vote, right? Yeah. Like, so the theories of, oh, well, gosh, we can't give them our mail ballot because then they'll know how to steal it because they know how many votes they need to add. It didn't happen in New Hampshire. We just got fucking vote race because we had bad candidates. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but wake up. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very good point. It's a very good point.
3: And it's an important one for folks to hear. Yeah. And, and, and along those lines, so there's a, uh, that was TPUSA trying to announce, I think they're trying to raise $100 million for this effort to ballot harvest. And look, uh, be, care,
2: be, care, be careful about this. And look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to denigrate. Not shitting,
3: I'm not shitting on them. They I'm not can do whatever they want to do.
1: Go in it with open eyes, right? I, I would say two things. One is go into it
2: with open eyes. But two, there's a lot of people in this line of work, the line of work that we're sitting here talking to cameras and talking into a microphone who've never done shit when it comes to electing people and they may not have the best idea of how to go about putting together infrastructure to do that. They may be incredibly entertaining. They may be very (sighs) persuasive. They may be people that you, you know, you want to, you want to take with them in your, your battle against the left everywhere you go and maybe want to like think through and, and do some research before you're just sending money to go do stuff like Ballot Harvest in New Hampshire, for example. Yeah. <laughs> where, where it doesn't exist. Uh, anyway, a couple things I wanted to get through uh, before we get out of here. The first is a special fan of the program.
3: Mm-hmm. We, yeah, got we got a note.
2: We got a note that was really, really great um, from this guy. It says, to my friends at the Ruthless Variety program, uh, that's bold, trendsetter, smug—the dashing and charismatic Josh Holmes. Oh, isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Right and Honorable
1: John Ashbrook and Will Duncan. <laughs> I mean, at least I have the courage to show up to work. The man, mm-hmm. <laughs> you call, you're going to call John Ashbrook the Right and Honorable. I I invented King of the Hill. I was the judge and jury. I knew that was going to get him. He he. This 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 gentleman, whoever he is or or woman, knew they were going to get my goat. They That's, I it. think, the reason. Yeah, I think the reason. Well, so I say he characterizes you as the
2: man who needs him to uh, have people go buy him drinks.
1: I'm uh, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a pitch there. Ashbrook's not here to defend himself. Pitch. I'm gonna take a pitch.
2: Take a pitch. Uh, my family's from the Detroit area. My middle brother Matt introduced me to you guys a few years ago with one of your Thanksgiving episodes. I always a classic. Nice. A great, great annual tradition. tradition. We listened to the program, and laughed, laughed our asses off before an inevitable
1: Lions loss. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that. And and you know the Lions always play on Thanksgiving. Yeah, so like totally. you know special place in his heart. I'm sure. <laughs> so good. It provided us with ample
2: amount of ammunition for our dinner discussion and our liberal oldest brother. Even he, despite the dearth of humor all liberals have, enjoyed some of the cracks we made. Not too long ago I woke to a text that nobody ever wants to receive. Matt told me he had a stroke. Uh as you can imagine this was terrifying, especially at his age of fifty. This is someone I've looked up to my entire life and whom I always got advice from. However, his pig headed obstinence and mule like stubbornness worked in his favor this time. He's handled his recovery like a boss. Within eight days he walked a mile around the hospital campus wow. and was headed home. Incredible. Now he still does regular physical therapy, he listens to the program while he does it. That's just wonderful. So I ask you to please give him a shout out. It would mean a great deal to him if you did. Thank you, guys. His name is Matt Wilk. Uh, Matt is the county chair for the Wayne County Republicans. A good man, Matt Wilk. And yes, our Polish na- family name is incorrect on that site. <laughs> Another the other side, as a, a duty-designated representative of the Polish-Americans, I hereby demand similar mistreatment of our ethnicity by smug as the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> we are the OGs of ethnic humor, and it's our time, and it, our time is due. Let me start. Did you hear about the Polish terrorist who tried to blow up the bus? He burnt his lips on the exhaust pipe. <laughs> So let's take this in order. First of all, Matt Wilk, good luck with the recovery, pal. We really appreciate you listening to us. Uh, It sounds like you're doing great, great work. Your brother loves you dearly, and how can we not love you with such awesome stuff to say about the Variety Program? Now, shall we get into the Polish?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just want to like, I read this, and it was just, I mean, it's incredible, you know, to hear... uh, these great stories of people coming together, listening to our show, like the Thanksgiving thing. You know, it's, it's it's always great to hear that. Thank you so much for listening. And and Matt, keep crushing it on that recovery. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've, I've had
1: a family member who had a stroke in recent years. And I'd offer you advice, but if you're walking a mile around the hospital already did it in tonight. eight days, pal. You're getting there. Unbelievable. I mean, hats off to you, man. I will say this. Uh, I heard recently
2: that the polish wanted to play a larger war in ukraine like they wanted to be a part of it but they couldn't figure out how to drive their septic tank (laughs) that's for you matt that's for you we're gonna look into more polish stuff i feel Uh, like you definitely definitely deserve it after that uh and finally folks we had a little bit of animal news here i feel weird about doing this without smash but This deserves commentary. There was a black bear in Washington, Mm D.C., in a neighborhood, terrorizing uh, the good people of Washington, D.C. You don't often get bears in a city like this.
1: No.
3: And and so I I looked into this story. Uh, It said, so this from the AP, it says, a young black bear gave residents of a quiet northeast Washington neighborhood a start Friday morning when they woke to find a furry interloper wandering backyards, sniffing around garbage cans. Basically what ends up happening is the bear takes a look around, They found a nice tree, I guess, in someone's backyard, goes up there and just sits on a branch, right? (laughs) And, like, all these, like, police, animal control, all these people are like, oh, my God. They, like, set up a perimeter. And the bear is just, like, watching the chaos from a tree until they, like, hit it with a tranquilizer dart. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a power move. I
1: also
2: think it's Every time you see that, it's like they fall from huge (laughs) limbs. Like, you might as well just take a 50 cal to the thing because it's going to fall like 30 feet.
3: I mean, they're built like tanks, apparently. And I know, like, uh, this is probably 10 years ago where it was like, I can't remember where there's a, a bear again in, in the neighborhood. And it was like up like 30 feet. And they hit this thing and it just like <laughs> nose dies, but it's totally cool with it. Like, but do they get, like, you
1: know, the cartoons? Where there's the, the, there's the apartment on fire and there's like the fireman below with the trampoline. <laughs> oh, that doesn't look like they did that. No? They don't do that for bears? It does, I don't think the bears get the, the trampoline. Oh, man. But I've
2: seen that kind of thing before. They've done it with like other animals. Oh,
1: yeah. Like you, a house cat? You throw it out the window? Maybe you throw the dog out? Get the tramp? Yeah. Yeah. No, and then they there's they're
3: sort of shuffling back and forth. And then uh the end of the story I I the E P didn't report this, but this was when uh, uh oh they did, they did. Uh but after they trank dart the thing, they're <laughs> like, We're gonna give it a checkup, make sure it's not like a rabbit or something. And then they're gonna release it in a forest in Maryland. It's like there could be no worse ending for this bear. <laughs> You're now living in Maryland, buddy. I mean You should have <laughs> asked them to use live rounds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna get so much hate now but you know it
3: congratulations is, you free bear
1: it is it is welcome cla- to Baltimore <laughs> is,
3: it, he's gonna get shot anyways he in Baltimore he's already done
1: it, it is cla- it is classic DC that the cops show up and you put the criminal right back on the street <laughs>
2: Well, it's true to form. Yeah. It's true to form the city council. It's nice to know that human yeah. or mankind, whatever, it, it yep. goes to bears, too. That's that's good. Uh, the other animal piece that we got to touch on, mm. 20 killer whales spotted off of San Francisco, according to uh, AP. Mm. So, you know, we've had this huge problem overseas where they're dealing, they're sinking ships.
3: Yeah, I, I, I saw another thing. Folks were tweeting it at me uh, over the past couple of days of, I guess there's a pack of them that have been just, like, sinking people's boats, like, in the Atlantic, large ships. Yeah. They'll just roll up and start taking them out. Yeah, they told,
1: you may have missed... You missed it because you had uh, the newest variant of COVID. His menopause uh, week. <laughs> we talked about this on the show, yeah. No, it's, I no, mean, no, no, uh,
3: after that incident. Oh, this okay. This is one that's happened over the past few... It's become a pattern that oh. they are attacking ships. And now, so here's the thing. is it, it says that at least 20 of these killer whales were spotted off San Francisco. They're ready to take stuff out. Fine by me. <laughs> fine wait, by me wait, wait you, hate them. Hate them in san francisco that town has asked for everything <laughs> terrible possible they the people vote for punishment they want hell on earth they voted it in time and time again
1: send in the whales we need to we need to figure out a way to scramble their echolocation so that they can't communicate with each other <laughs> yeah in like in any war right you got to split them up you, you, you want to destroy
3: uh, uh what is it uh Comms and and, and infrastructure, first off.
1: Right, right. Well, these whales can communicate across miles by echolocation. Can they really? If we can figure out a way to sort of stop that, we can stop them from organizing. It could be like Hank's Naval Force, though,
2: if you think about it. Because it's West Coast. Right, right. Right? I'll tell you, there's
3: always been, and we used to, when, when we had a really great country, know how to deal with this, is whales are a renewable resource. Yeah. They're food. They'll give you oil. Yeah. You can just spear them. And yeah, it works. You or, bring them back on ships. There's been great books written about or this Or plug practice. their blowhole. Yeah, if Ashbrook as, was here. Yeah, as Ashbrook yeah. suggested. Ashbrook but has pointed can out. can deal yep. with that problem. <laughs> Which
2: is a, a, an innovative way of taking out a whale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a great interview for you. Um, I think we should get right to it. I want to welcome to the program a very distinguished guest. Uh, we've been following his work for quite some time. He's a colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve, Iraq War veteran. Highly decorated, I might add, uh, a, a bronze star medal and a combat action badge. And now he's sort of running some things here in Congress. He's a congressman from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Brad Wenstrup. welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, listen, this is fun. Uh You should probably know that one of our co-hosts who didn't have the dignity of showing up is you're like his home congressman, John Ashbrook.
4: Yeah, and actually, though, the district's changed. They might change back because of legal wranglings. So I'm out of Cincinnati proper now, but I have pretty much most of Southern Ohio in um, my district now. So it's it's a great part of the country. It is a great
2: part of the country. I've been fortunate to spend a, a good amount of time there. Great people. You're going to get a lot of candidates marching through there, I imagine,
1: in the next year and a half.
4: Oh, yeah. We get trampled on by by presidential (laughs) candidates. I imagine. (laughs) Well,
1: you you brought us a lovely, lovely tribute here from Cincinnati, Cincinnati Distilling, uh, Ohio Straight Bourbon, and uh, I make a promise we were not going to share any of it with John Ashbrook. None. Not a (laughs) single sip of it. You and must be
4: present to win. Is yeah, that what you're saying? That's right.
2: No question about it. And Cincinnati, as we discussed, close enough to the Commonwealth of Kentucky where you probably have some claim on the water of bourbon.
4: Uh, yeah, I would say, and I married into it too. You know, my <laughs> wife's a Kentucky girl, and uh, she introduced me to bourbon. I, you know, I was like, oh, I'll have a beer, but no, no. She said, try this. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's addicting. There's no question about that. Listen, we want to talk about some serious
2: stuff first. You've got a very, very big hearing this week you are the uh, the chairman of a subcommittee that's overseeing a whole bunch of things on the covid front um your doctor too by the way which gives you <laughs> gives you a leg up in determining a lot of this stuff but this week uh the cdc director rochelle walensky has agreed to testify yes how's this gonna go
4: well we're eager to have her come in I can tell you we have a, a strong doctor's caucus in the House of Representatives and the Republican side, about 20 members, yeah. doctors, dentists, pharmacists. We we met with her through the through COVID, and she would do some virtual hearings with us and things like that. So, th- But this is a little different because this is more, if you look at the big picture of what the subcommittee is supposed to do, it's really touching on everything. It's an after-action review of all things pandemic which involves all people, okay? Mm -hmm. So after action review, lessons learned, what did we do right, what did we do wrong? And if things weren't done right, was it because, hey, we were flying blind, no one knew uh, what the right thing to do was because this was so novel, so new? Or were we making decisions based on politics or making decisions based on personal?
2: right endeavors or gaining
4: our ideologies and that's Mm -hmm. what we have to figure out because it has no place in medicine right and so we're we're on a fact-finding mission for sure so this week we do have the cdc director and really the focus at this time is based on the guidelines put out by the cdc Mm -hmm. uh, during COVID. and again going back to the beginning we're flying blind so people are saying lock down, do this do that mask up because they really didn't know but as data came in did we make the right corrections and who had the influence right. on the guidelines being made so in particular for this we've already had the head of the American Federation of Teachers Randy Weingarten in. yeah yeah,
2: and, you <laughs> I know, noticed that one
4: and and she, you know that's a political organization let's face totally. it they're not a medical organization they're not a scientific organization you'd like to, to think they of. look
2: after the kids but uh, it seems too secondary you would think
4: that that, that would be uh, the, the first priority and you know through that I really have not seen anything where the teachers were really driving to get the kids back in school. Yeah, I think it's fair to say no we need some mitigations for health, right? They wanted to be vaccinated first. The nation said, okay, teachers, you can go get vaccinated. Right. Um, but most of the mitigations they, they wanted in place were delaying getting the kids in school or made it very difficult to get the kids in school. For example, if you, if, if you say they should be three feet apart, but they say it needs to be six feet apart, how do you fill a classroom with everybody six feet apart? Yeah. And what was the science behind that? What was the need for that, right? Right and you know as time went by you you had you know private and catholic schools and i'll say in my rural areas the rural schools they were going to they were going to class uh-huh. and so there seems to have been quite an effort especially in the urban areas to just as and i'm quoting this word trigger they were looking for a trigger to close the schools. This right. is in their internal documents. But also when we had Randy Weingarten and we discovered, one, that she had communications with the Biden transmission te- transition team right away. Right. Right away. There was never a, re- a relationship with the Trump Yeah, Trump team. So you had a relationship with the Biden transition team, which means you had a relationship with them once they were sworn in. And then also we found out that uh, that Randy Weingarten had CDC director Walensky's personal cell phone. And that's where this thing gets a little scary, right? Because as you
2: said, Randy Weingarten is an intensely partisan political figure and has run her organization thusly. And... You know, maybe it's not surprising that a union boss of teachers is talking to the Biden administration uh, in, during a transition, but it is certainly interesting and, and concerning that someone like that is talking to somebody who's
4: supposed to be guided by science. Exactly. That 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 is exactly the point that we want to want to make here. Look, they admit they're a political organization so be it that's politics in america you have every right to try and say this is what we want this is what our teachers want just like any you know union demand or any employee making demands they can do that that's fair enough that's america but what's not right is when our federal agency which should be agnostic and based on science and if any one of them is it's cdc you should be Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, all our other other agencies, you could you could debate that. There's a lot of politics, but when it comes to to your health and to science and medicine and saving lives through medical practices and guidelines, shouldn't you be speaking based on data? <laughs> and we had data coming from all around the world. We had countries that didn't shut down. Yeah. Uh, when you want. The the trigger for closure to be based on the rate of transmission in the community, when the community rates were always higher than the in school rates, the in school was the safest place, right. and and you could you could surmise that it was safer for the kids to be in school than going to and from some daycare or whatever the case may be, um, and y- yet that was never articulated by the administration. N- no, you, people weren't getting spoken to ask yourselves through this process. Uh, and and I would say, Trump administration or the Biden administration, the bedside manner was horrible. Yeah. You know, and, and we've come to a pl- time in this country, unfortunately, where the trust is way down, but in part because you're not hearing from the right people. And I said from the very beginning, Americans should be hearing from the doctors that are treating COVID patients, not the person in the lab, not the politician. And there's nothing more egregious than President Biden's mandate that said you must get the vaccine or you're fired from your job. Is this really America? I mean, this is a mandate that takes away your livelihood. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have a conversation with a doctor who can say, here's what the vaccine does. We find it's helping hundreds of thousands of people and saving a lot of lives if you have... These criteria, these comorbidities, uh, you know, immune deficiency, age, all of these things Mm -hmm. seem to be greatly affected. We found from the trials that even though you got the vaccine, you can still get COVID, but you're less likely to be hospitalized. We know from science that viruses produce variants, so we may see that. You know, this is a conversation people want to have. And, you know, Frank Luntz did a thing with with us, and when I spoke to these hesitant people about the vaccine, as a physician, the pluses, the minuses, they said, well, I'm a little less hesitant now. Yeah, people want to hear from the doctor. They said, I want to be educated, not indoctrinated. Right. So you want to talk about lessons learned, mistakes made. That was a huge one and so but if the guidelines are make not making sense to the public but they're coming out because a union wanted them for their people that is a big problem and this has got to be cleaned i mean you you've got to rebrand the cdc in some way going forward in my opinion randy's been going
1: through a little bit of a rebrand herself (laughs) i don't know if you've noticed this but she's been on sort of a charm offensive to rewrite all the history of what she did during covid and it felt like, to me, you know, in improv, when people do stand-up comedy improv, it's the phrase, yes and. Like, never end the conversation because you're trying to keep it all flowing, right? That's kind of way Randy worked <laughs> uh, with how she dealt with COVID and schools and getting kids back in the classroom. It was always, yes and, yes and, yes and. Oh, you know, we want kids back in school, but... You know, we want to be careful how we do it. Okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, we got to the point where she was trying to basically extort the Biden administration for billions of dollars, saying schools have never been safe. (laughs) You know, the air filters have mold in them. And so you got to this place where it just got so ridiculous. So the idea of her being able to weigh in from a political perspective on something like CDC guidelines is just wild. wild. It's wild. I think it gets to the heart of the, the distrust Uh, that you were talking about earlier in our society and we got to find a way to fix it.
4: Yeah, I mean that was that seemed to me to be quite the grab, you know. And look, I'm sure there are better ventilation systems today than there were 40 years ago when these schools were built or however long ago. I get that, but did that have anything to do with COVID per se? Right. Was it making a difference for the transmission of COVID amongst the kids, or for that matter, even the teachers? You know, when they wanted there to be mitigations for some teachers who had some of the comorbidities, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm in with that. Um, yeah, same, same
2: as you are with senior citizen centers, right? I mean, there, it, vulnerabilities, because of the statistical analysis, were worth looking at and worth trying to figure out. But it's based on the analysis of everything we knew. And the thing that drives me, and I think you're, you're perfectly hitting on this, is the disconnect between not only what doctors were telling their patients, but what even with, like pharmaceutical manufacturers are saying about the product— And then ultimately, the policies that came out of people like Rochelle Walensky were massive. There's just a huge disconnect where somehow, some way, they decided that they were going to embark in a political mission that didn't seem to be supported by the underlying facts.
4: Yeah, and it didn't make sense. You're scratching your head. You know, when this whole thing started, we were in lockdown, right? And I'm like... Doing research, yeah. What do we know about this? How do we treat people? You know, what what kind of markers can we find in blood work? Remember, we had no test. We had, you know, no vaccine of any type, and so you're well. What's going on with the body? Well, there's a huge inflammatory reaction in the lungs. Well, let's address that. You know, Mm -hmm. those types of things, and what are we seeing in blood work? What are we seeing with the immunoglobulins, those that fight infection? How are they changing that you can detect in blood work, and but also. Uh, if you remember we were doing things like convalescent plasma so if somebody had covid and recovered get their plasma match them up with somebody who's got covid and you can inject antibodies which was the whole idea of the vaccine of any vaccine right is to be able to provide that type of immunity but you notice did you hear any more about convalescent plasma no everything was vaccine mm-hmm. did you hear any more you, you were chastised if you talked about those that had natural immunity these were the very people that were uh, using convalescent plasma donating convalescent right. plasma right why did that just go away why did we not make that one of our tools still
1: right yeah and what,
4: you're trying to get at what's the decision making tree here right exactly how, how do we get to a point where
2: we couldn't talk about certain things had to talk about other things and then created
1: policy that according to the data didn't make a ton of sense because you you can't ask people to trust the science if you're not (laughs) trusting them with the truth it's as simple as that right right
4: right Right, and look the science the science for natural immunity has been there for for yeah. centuries. Fauci, Fauci yeah. talked about it constantly yeah, they, back in the yeah, day, he and then suddenly he forgot. <laughs> and, and and so, you know what what was taking place here. S- same with you know the um, use of convalescent plasma. The thing is, you know how much it costs to administer convalescent plasma. How much? Well, you donate it for one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty inexpensive yeah we right? like that. yeah <laughs> and so it's just spinning it yeah. down and administering it did that cost more than a vaccine mm-hmm. where was the money mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't these are the questions we got to ask i mean what mm-hmm. was the reason really for ignoring these other possible treatments uh, for people that i think people would have been a lot more comfortable with because you you understand the notion of someone's natural immunity being developed and you sharing that more so than something made in a lab that where we don't really know what it might do 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And that's still a fair assessment. But, you know, as we're in this committee, you know, I hear my counterpart, it was also a physician said, the vaccines are safe. Well, you don't know that hundred percent. And not only that, the other thing we want to look at is the adverse reactions were we tracking the way we normally do or should do in, in population health to see adverse reactions to the vaccine?
2: Yeah, it's, it's just a fascinating. What I like about the way that you're going about it is to ask the question. Because in some ways, there may be answers, despite the fact that you and I may disagree with it, there may be answers along the way of why people chose to do what they did. Right. The fear, though, is that there's a political piece of it. And it's I I love that you brought Randy Weingarten into this discussion, because there is there's something that just feels inherently political about the decision making as we got along well into COVID.
4: And if I'm going to use what the teachers union sends me for part of my guidelines, I'm not going to plagiarize it. (laughs) I'm going to at least change the wording. (laughs) People forget about that. People forget about that. And when you copy somebody's homework, you got to
1: change a couple <laughs> exactly. answers. This is basic stuff. <laughs> Every C student knows that. Yeah, <laughs> Can't get too ambitious. A
2: perfect A. We had a character. So where do you think this leads? I mean, I imagine that this is a piece of the puzzle that you're trying to put together to lead to a better picture for the american people on the back end of all
4: yeah let let, so let's really get to that because bottom line is we want to look at the next pandemic and say that we can uh predict it Mm -hmm. prepare for it protect ourselves from it and maybe prevent it that's it in a nutshell those four p's that's the way i look at it and i look at this whole thing as an after action review lessons learned what's the path forward what worked what didn't work like i could say you know what we should use the military for logistics if we have to get vaccines out to everybody. They did a great job with that. Yep. Those are things we should look at, too. You know, Again, what worked, what didn't work. But we also have to be able to have ourselves in a situation uh, where we can assess... What kind of damage was done and how do we prevent it in the future? And mm-hmm. especially in this particular case with, with the school guidelines, the damage yeah. done to the kids academically, mentally, uh, physically, et cetera. You know, and, and then even when they were going back, some of them were told no sports. Right. No outdoor sports. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I, I just. <laughs> I mean. It's like hard to process. Right? It's, it's, it is a little bit difficult to process. But I mean, I look, my daughter, uh, she's five years old. So she went you know two years very formative years yeah. with with a mask on, yeah. not seeing people form their words yeah she's in speech therapy right now, yeah. she'll be fine, yeah. you know, but I wonder was that was that a was result it, of yeah, this? we both have young kids in the same dynamic and yeah. it, it's there
2: is no question that it had impact, whether it's lasting mm. impact or not we don't know, but it's certainly something you'd like to prevent going forward and I imagine a piece of this is that the, the abject reality that maybe a majority but certainly a plurality of americans if you had a seriously deadly pandemic not named covid that showed up on your doorstep tomorrow i'm not sure people would take the government's word for any of it
4: no they would probably ignore it and that's a problem and here's a problem that's resulted as well and i try to point this out the mrna vaccine in in many ways some doctors don't like that i put it this way but i think it's true it was more of a therapeutic compared to say the polio vaccine right which truly prevented okay so the
2: terminology mm -hmm. itself right
4: was confusing for people and 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 it and by definition it is a vaccine so you know It falls under that category, but it functions differently than, say, the others. And the problem we have today is now you have so much distrust. You have a lot of young parents not wanting to get their kids vaccinated for the other vaccines. Mm -hmm. And especially if you were. That's
2: problematic.
4: That's that's definitely problematic for our population health going forward. And so we don't want to see that. And so they're they're staying away from those things. So we may see a rise in this. And one of the things, and maybe you saw it with your kids or their classmates, uh, the rise in in RSV with that respiratory illness. This
2: winter was. Our children's
4: hospitals were flooded. Well, probably because they were so uh, unimmune to much of anything, right? They just were, were kept sterile, if you will. And part of our immune system, which is a beautiful thing. Is that it, it builds you and makes you stronger. Yeah. Uh, it went through our house like wildfire after Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs> you were basically
2: mean. Thanksgiving till a week ago. The Duncans were under wraps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's horrible. And it's very scary as a parent with a young kid. I mean, like our yep. six-month-old had RSV. And boy, it is tough to fall asleep hearing that hacking next to you. It really is. You're just, you're just watching them, watching them, watching the breath rise and fall. I mean, it's terrifying.
4: So we, we want to come forward, not just with school closures, but guidelines in so many ways that we aren't harming Americans in more ways. Are we doing more harm than good with what we're doing? And you always have to evaluate, do the benefits outweigh the risks, those types of things. It's tough because you are talking about, in this case, a deadly virus. Yeah. No doubt about it. For some, not for all. Um, you know, and then we had so many situations where you had the lockdowns extended, don't go to your yeah. doctor. And so now there's a rise in cancers that had a drop off yeah, Well the it, diagnostics. They weren't, they yeah. weren't being diagnosed. They right. weren't going in. And so you're always worse off the later it is. Yeah. And we got to make sure we avoid that. I mean, I had a situation in one of my rural counties where the sheriff called me, he said, Brad, I just had a guy 71 years old. He was scheduled for his painful hernia. And you know he's in so much pain, they canceled him, didn't know when they were gonna be able to do it. He was in so much pain, he took his life. Oh, jeez, right. you right?
2: just hate to hear that. Yeah,
4: and, and it's like, and how many cases did they have in that rural hospital at that time? Mm. Zero. Mm-hmm. So we gotta start thinking about best practices too. What's the flexibility at a local level? What What data do we have on a national basis that can drive your decision making In in each locality,
2: yeah, and I and I imagine just transparency in and of itself. If there is no definitive conclusions, but a transparency in and of itself is probably the first step to restore any sort of trust in the government's role in any of this, right?
4: well when you see a government that apparently it's not as essential for teachers to be in school with the kids but the liquor stores open (laughs) uh you know and your church is closed yeah right you know these this is going to set you off yeah and and it it makes sense uh too that uh we see these things going in these directions and and again i don't i don't fault people at the beginning everybody was panicked didn't know the science what's going on but i also think too if i talk about bedside manner i remember in ohio we had all the members of congress on with the health health director in columbus ohio and she says you know hundreds of thousands of Ohioans are going to die we're going to put hospitals out in the in the street and all this kind of stuff and she said it's extremely lethal i said "Hold, hold on a minute with the last comment let's prepare for those other scenarios okay let's let's be as prepared as we can i get that And uh, hopefully in the future, we'll have it automatically, not making it up as we go. But I said, you say it's extremely lethal. If six people die and they're the only ones that you've confirmed had it, Mm -hmm. then it's 100%. But we are hearing of people that, you know, they know they had it. Something was different. It's going around, right? They had it and they got better. Right. So you can't say it's extremely lethal because maybe it's only 0.1%. Yeah. Well, that, if it had,
1: that if, are dying actually, right, dying. right? Right, not not baselining it with all the asymptomatic cases might have led to a lot of misguided policy proposals because what they were looking at was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the overall sample size. And right? make it a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, right. I mean if, if any of this has any impact on
2: future generations, mitigating the hyperbole in a situation like this, because I really think that's where this thing went off the rails, because. As you said right away, we were all sort of nervous at first pandem- global pandemic in 100 years. I mean this you know, it's like you don't there's not a playbook to how to deal with this in the first 60, 90 days. Mm-hmm. but as we go along, the, the rhetoric continued to ramp all the way up. and all of a sudden you had elected officials, important government voices basically continuing to turn the volume all the way up. And at that point, you can't make rational decisions like you're informing the the public of one thing and they're all in grave danger how can you expect to make rational decisions right
4: and and who's making the decisions and and why so how do you at home make a rational decision when you don't know what you're what you're getting right you know i i compared who we needed to hear from i said doctors treating covid patients i think back in the gulf war when i was younger and and every night we heard from schwarzkopf yeah and america Mm -hmm. tuned in yeah they trusted him yeah He's he's the man in the arena, right? He's telling us what's going on. That's really what we needed. This was something that should have united us as a country. Mm-hmm. Instead, it has divided us uh, more more terribly than perhaps we were. Yeah, uh, I would say. But this this certainly added to it. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Something like a pandemic should unite the United States of America just like 911 did. Yeah. You know, how do we how do we work on this and and make sure and but again, be led by people that you you feel you know and trust. And that's the importance of the doctor patient relationship as well. And we were telling people not to go see their doctor yeah. and they'd end up in the emergency room. And then you saw things, look, I, I in my in my practice, I treat a, a lot of very serious infections, and most of the more serious infections are usually on the people that have other illnesses associated mm-hmm. with with their health. You know, whether it's you know, and in, in just compare it to. Uh, the COVID, you had obesity, diabetes, but vascular disease, you know, they may have liver dysfunction, all kinds of things that I would see that would lead them to be more vulnerable to infections. But the one thing no one ever did before is take someone with a serious infection and put them in with a group of people mm-hmm. that are the most vulnerable to get an infection. <laughs> And that's exactly what happened in yeah. New York. And that is, that is, as, as even the Democrat, one of the Democrat physicians on the subcommittee said, I'm not a lawyer, but that seems like malpractice to me. Yeah. To, to any doctor, you're like, what in the world? You can't do that. Right. And I feel bad for the health care providers in those facilities that were strapped with that must admit type of a situation. Tragedy. That that was the order. So that's another area that we're looking into with with this committee.
2: Well, listen, I'm I'm glad you're doing it. And I think if we're ever going to get to a point where we can restore public health at the federal level, this kind of thing is absolutely imperative to do it. So thanks for what you're doing. Another thing I wanted to ask you about because we're now, uh, gosh, we got a a congressional baseball game coming up. And I think probably the first time uh, nationally a lot of people heard your name was in that uh, terrible, tragic uh, shooting of Steve Scalise on the baseball field in right. practicing for the eventual game that we're again going to have this week, which is a great tradition, by the way. It is. It's a terrific tradition. Um, but I wonder if you wouldn't mind walking us through that day a
4: little bit. Yeah, I'll just start by saying that uh, Steve Scalise took a bullet for all of us. Yeah, because if he wasn't there, the Capitol Police weren't there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's people forget that. Yeah, there's two Capitol Police undercover inside of a van. This guy has no idea. Um, and uh, look, a lot of people mispractice here and there. And, but it, and if Steve went there that day, this guy walks in and easily kills 20 to 30 members of Congress in their state. That's just wild. Because the fences are about 20 feet high everything had to happen right for steve to be alive and for us to escape and that's starting with steve just being there yeah Um, because the first shot was aimed at trent kelly who was playing third base well well, first of all the guy had been out there for two months he hated republicans it's all over his social media he loved bernie sanders he used the y for his wi-fi and things like that he had stuff in storage i mean he came from illinois and planted himself here on a mission that morning A couple people left early and I usually had to leave early, but that day I could stay later. Uh, but as Ron DeSantis left and as Jeff Duncan left, he went up to them and said, These are Republicans or Democrats? You know, like, oh, this is cool, you know. And they said, Republicans. Well, he had names of Republicans in his pocket and their descriptions. But the first shot, he started taking from outside the fence on the third base side, which by the grace of God, it was the last day of practice. So pitchers weren't there because that's right where the bullpen is. Oh, wow. And he could just walk right up and boom, boom, right? <laughs> fortunately again by the grace of god the groundskeeper told me later he locked the third base gate the night before it's usually open so he had a fire through the gate at trent kelly and he hit a link in the fence and that's how it missed trent kelly a two-star general two tours in iraq who starts yelling shooter and he starts doing the zigzag run fortunately this field had actual dugouts like five or six steps down so people dove into it and you can still see the bullet holes above it Mm. he used that third base dugout to to shield himself i guess as he's reloading or whatever he's got a high-powered rifle he comes around now he's shooting more towards the dugout home plate area and um you're in the dugout at this well here's here's another miracle to me for me was i had just batted i grabbed my glove i was going to the outfield and I got to about the pitcher's mound, and this didn't occur to me like two days later. I changed my mind. i thought, ah, take some more swings down in the batting cage. Okay? And I didn't even like the batting cage because the machine was wild. <laughs> you're, you're doing a lot of ducking from this thing. <laughs> but, you know, I did, and the batting cage is down the first baseline outside the fences of the field. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. So I was in the absolute safest place I could absolutely be. And uh, so when the, when the shooting started, I was like, is that, is, is that what I think yeah, it is? Yeah, I mean, because you you're know, one I, of
2: the few people on the field who instantly I'd, has some knowledge of what that sounds
4: and, like. and I just completely went into military mode. I got down on the ground. Who's doing the shooting? How many are shooting? Because it's echoing off the buildings. You know, people don't know. In this whole thing, there were 136 rounds fired. Jeez. Wow. You know, and if I might add, if you take out 20 to 30 members of Congress and their staff changing the balance of power in the house of representatives mm-hmm. that's an insurrection if i can use the word yeah. appropriately yeah yeah just yeah. saying we'll leave that alone yeah. for now yeah but so um so i had to move at one point because he was moving around got behind another building now he's shooting right down my lane i can see the blaze from the barrel and i moved behind a bathroom but the whole time steve's laying out on the field just steve everybody else had found some kind of cover somewhere but five people were hit altogether including both capitol police and when uh the opportunity came then alexandria police came in it was weird because he came back one more time from behind a building this time with a nine mil and not a rifle and that's right when alexandria police came in and i could see the remaining capitol policeman david bailey and two uh alexandria please come in and I, I was told later there was a sniper further back mm. uh and and they hit him and he started to go down so i started running for steve mm. a couple people from the dugout got to him first but i went into military mode i'm sweeping his body see how many times he's hit he, he you know he's still talking yeah barely but he's breathing talking uh, he has a pulse and i see his entry wound and so i again just went into mode pulled his pants down Looking for his exit wound, and it wasn't there, uh-huh. and so now I knew he was in bigger trouble. Yeah, because that meant it went up. Yeah, Jeez. and so it reminded me of a of a soldier we lost in Iraq, where we didn't get into the belly soon enough. So I knew he was bleeding, uh, you know, internally and very little externally. So I immediately asked somebody, "Give me your belt and put it on as high as I could to at least stop the major artery to the leg from bleeding further." Okay. Uh, not knowing what else was going on internally but he was still talking but by the time he left he he was not Mm -hmm. and then when medics came out i said how fast can you start an iv because i know he's losing volume right and they said we don't have that well what they meant was they didn't have it with them because it's on their ambulance which they couldn't drive on the field Mm -hmm. so the one medic i met him later he said i knew what you meant i knew what you were saying he's dying inside Mm -hmm. and uh, so i pushed him ahead of anybody else uh, because all people saw was this small hole. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I pushed him ahead, and we got an IV. And he might not have made it if he went by ground. But then suddenly, one of the park police helicopters landed yeah. on the field. Thank so you. park park police can be in the air anywhere. And this guy happened to already be in the air when the call went out and he came in and he was former military i met him a couple months later and he said i flew that bird like i stole it <laughs> and uh, i said god bless you that yeah, you did and, no and kidding. And Steve is just uh, an amazing guy. He has never complained, and he has just fought through this. He no longer uses a cane or anything. He's got a little bit of a limp. Um, well, and he's out there at baseball practice every day. Yeah, he's wow. still back out there. Probably wouldn't be
2: here today if not for the work of you and, and, and the people on that field, as you mentioned. Good Lord, uh, what a story. Thanks to you. That can't, you know, look, we're all in a debt of gratitude for it because that was a hell of a time, hell of a time. Well, I, I almost th- couldn't believe it when I heard it. On the radio yeah. and going to work, I I felt like I had to have been missing something. Like it's just, it was just a bizarre, bizarre experience.
4: Yeah, it was very, very surreal. And uh, like I said, I just kind of went into military mode, and it was more later that I thought that was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know that that was that was really horrific. And how lucky we were in so many ways that everything, you know, fell together. No um, but I think people should recognize for what it was because the FBI. Uh, tried to tell us the guy just wanted suicide by cop. Well, it took us a few years, but we got that di- that that term, yeah. that changed to domestic violent extremism. Yeah, which is exactly
2: what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I got to get you out of here, but I have three questions that we ask every mm-hmm. single guest. Right, and we're going to turn the page here uh, and get and get into the lighter side of the program. But everybody pays attention to these ones. So the first question is: If you could plan your fa- your last
4: meal on Earth, what would it be? Well, I did get asked this once before on another interview. Did you? They're stealing yeah. our stuff? Oh, uh, I guess they are. Oh, and, uh, and you know, the first thing that popped into my head was communion.
2: It's <laughs> oh, yeah. a pretty good answer. We a good answer. We haven't <laughs> had- I don't think
4: we've had that one. No, <laughs> yeah. but it probably greases the
2: skids for the next step, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's a pretty
4: good answer. That's the plan.
2: Strategic. <laughs> yeah. Strategic. Okay, that makes sense. We'll accept that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the second question is, and look, this is, uh, different, affects different people different ways, but the, the, the basics are, if you never got into this line of work and had this big sort of blue sky in the middle of your life, you could do basically anything you wanted with the benefit of retrospect, what would it be?
4: Well... I have to tell you that being a physician is one of the most rewarding fields you you could be in. So if I could be a physician, surgeon, without government or insurance company interference, (laughs) that would be heaven to me because without their interference, I would also have more time. For my wife and kids, and go sailing and play sports. You could you
2: could do there your you. job and then enjoy your family, yeah. rather than paperwork.
4: So that 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 would just bring it all together for me. <laughs> just that just that one thing, practice without government or insurance company interference.
2: Very very well said. <laughs> all right. So the third question is a little esoteric, and it our view is that most successful people are motivated by one of two things: the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody doesn't like winning or that anybody, you know, likes losing. It's what motivates you to get to the next level, work a little harder, try to try to achieve more. And the ultimate agony defeat person we always explain is Michael Jordan, right? He can win seven titles you enjoyed for like three minutes afterwards, and then, you know, there's something that somebody said in warm-up sticks with him for a lifetime. That's an agony defeat mm-hmm. guy. The thrill of victory people are people just self-motivated, motivated, constantly glass half full, trying to get to the next level on their own because they think that they're capable of it. In that spectrum, where do you find yourself?
4: Well, and I can't say, you know, I was really young that I loved the agony of defeat, right? Yeah, you know, nobody loves the agony. You, 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 you took it with great embarrassment, yeah. you know, as, as a child. and And I would say, though, you know, as I got older, the agony of defeat was something that I tried to use to get to the thrill of victory, mm-hmm. and you know to realize what I could have done better, um, w- why there was defeat, um, and to to then try and accomplish the goal that you weren't getting done because you learn every step of the way. Yeah, and you get better and better and better. Um, You've just articulated uh, an negative defeat guy. That's what it is.
2: That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, All right. Well, no. listen. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for all your good work. I hope you stay in touch. Let us know what you're finding. If our uh, people want to stay up to date and see what you're working on, help you out, where can they go?
4: Well, our select subcommittee has a own website, and you can reach out to us. We are the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. And so reach out, reach out to us anytime. Matter of fact, we're 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 learning from people that are reaching out, as you might imagine, I imagine. as yeah. they can share some of their experiences of, of what what they thought did work well yeah. and what gave them confidence, yeah, and and then uh, what did not. I was I was out giving vaccines with the National Guard I, as a reservist. They let me do it, and we go on this bus, and we got all the. It's a retirement home, and it's this older lady, and she sees me in uniform, sees my name, because. Wenstrup, she goes. Can I get a selfie with you? And I said, Yes, ma'am, we're allowed. I vaccinated her, and she says, You know, I probably don't agree with you on one thing politically, but thank you for being here today to give me this shot. Oh, that's good. and I said, and that's America, ma'am. Exactly. And that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> that's how public service works. <laughs> Absolutely,
2: Congressman Brad Wenstrup, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. So, look, we're going to learn a lot from Brad Wenstrup. He. uh He is, as we speak, getting into this hearing with uh, Walensky. And as you could tell from the interview, he wants to build this case Mm -hmm. and try to figure out. I mean, it's easy to jump to a conclusion, as we have in this show, about what the motivations were for the Biden administration to, you know, have mandates and lockdowns and keep kids out of school. And there's something to us that is very similar with their ideology writ large and how they'd like to govern. Um, what he's done is sort of deconstruct all of that and just go right into the decision-making process. Yeah. Which I think is so good to ultimately get our whole country to a place t- where there's transparency to understand who's a political
1: actor, who screwed up, and what we're going to do to change it in the future. Yeah, and we talked a little bit with him about this after the interview. But, you know, I mean, after nine eleven, we had the nine eleven report. Where we try to figure out what went right, what went wrong, what was the you know the chain of events that took place, who was responsible for what, what we could do better. Right. The advantage we had after nine eleven is we were united as a country. Yeah. You know, um, after COVID, I don't think our country could be more possibly divided. Right. And the the trust deficit that we have in this country is like something we have to fix. And the only way we fix it is having a similar style nine eleven report where these committees go in and they figure out that exact decision-making and what we do. To, that's the only way, if this ever happens again, God, I hope it doesn't. If you want people to believe the information the government is telling them, you're going to have to admit the mistakes that were made.
2: Totally agree. Totally agree. And God bless him for being on that baseball field when Steve Scalise was shot,
3: too. Anyway, fellas, I think we did it. I I think think we've done it. Absolute banger of an episode. Gentlemen, thank you so much to the good chairman for visiting us today. And thank you to our listeners and viewers on YouTube. Remember, if you haven't subscribed yet, get on there, subscribe, and check out all the goodies we got there. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.